Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode, the premiere, the pilot of the Not A Real Veteran podcast. This show is brought to you by the Not A Real Libertarian Podcast Network and the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. I am your host, Will Darty, not Will Darty, and I'm here to bring light to veteran issues from the libertarian perspective. And without further ado, I would like to bring on my co-host, Mr. Braxton Voorhees. Braxton, say hello to everybody. What's going on? What's up? So, guys, we wanted to do this uh, in kind of a fun way. So, from from memory, as well as we know each other, I'm going to be introducing Braxton today, and he's going to be introducing me, so you guys can get to know us a little bit. So, the famous Braxton Voorhees is from Lone Grown, Oklahoma, where he was born and raised. He joined the Air Force in 2013. He was stationed at Thule Air Base Greenland as a security forces expert, as well as Osan Air Base Korea, as well as Vogelway Air Base Germany. Did I miss any? Nope, those were it. Nope, okay. He is currently, again, living in Lone Grove, Oklahoma. As a civilian, he tests asphalt and concrete samples for a lab down there um, to do for road and construction work. And he currently rages against the state every day by being a badass libertarian. Did I miss anything important? Um, I also test soils. He also tests soils. So no, interesting. Not. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Concrete asphalt soils. Huh. Okay. So me and Braxton met June 30th, 2013 at the military entry processing station in Oklahoma City on our way down to basic training, we luckily ended up in the same flight, ended up with bunks next to each other, and it was evident pretty quickly that we would become best friends, and we have been ever since. And uh, along the way, we had a serious disdain for the state and what the government's doing, and that was aligned through a lot of shared experiences, and that brought us where we are today with the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus, and now the first episode of Not a Real Veteran. And you, sir. Yeah. I want to say a very big thank you to everybody that's part of the Veteran Caucus. Uh, really awesome. And just being uh, interacting with them and the page and all that every day is really cool. And also everybody who's not, you know, I don't, I don't want to say necessarily that they're not a part of the caucus, but even the ones that aren't veterans that uh, share our stuff all the time. I mean, it's awesome and uh, feels good, man. Uh, so thanks a lot to them. Shout out to Tracy. Uh, our freaking yep. work of a partner, co-founder. Um, but yeah, now I get to introduce you and I'm going to go into way more depth. I've been uh, practicing. You said <laughs> I took that as I can't take notes uh, or bring notes with me. So Will Darty. Will is anti-authoritarian to his core. And that's libertarian speak in layman's terms. He's one of those people where you can't get him to do anything that you want for him to do. He's one of those people you have to make his idea. Um, our biggest thing is movie recommendations. I'll be like, man, I just saw this movie. You'll love it. It'll be your movie. You know, you got to watch it. Yeah, all right, dude, bet. A week later, ask him, you know, have you checked that movie out yet? Oh, well, dude, I was going to. I got off work and I didn't have anything on my schedule, but I sat down and I looked at my snake for seven hours and uh, I wanted to do that instead. Uh, all right. You're not wrong. He's one of those. Um, 
something else that's interesting. The day we met, we met on an elevator. And he was wearing an Air Force T-shirt, a giant, goofy grin on his face. I got the biggest homeschool vibes from him. I would have said <laughs> that he was homeschooled, uh, which turned out to be wrong because he is a product of the Stillwater public education system. But what, you know, still to this day for the life of me, I can't picture you as a student. I literally cannot. Will is very studious. He does very good in schools. He's very smart. But I like what I was saying about, you know, you just do your own thing. So hardcore. I can just see you in class. You'd be like singing songs, talking to yourself. And the teacher would be like, you know, Will, are you paying any attention? Bears eat beets. (laughs) Battlestar Galactica. Dude, I, I just can't see you in a classroom. Uh, I just really can't. And like I said, not that uh, – I don't know. I just can't. But – and I'll never get to see that, so that's too bad. Um, you never know. Joined the Air Force June 30th, 2013. Um, he was a air transportation specialist, which means he loaded the planes. And uh, he was stationed at Ramstein Air Base, Germany. And uh, – we spent a few months in Qatar, uh, and I don't know. I never deployed, so I don't know. I guess that does count as well a duty station ish, right? I mean, that's. I mean, for sure, it's on your resume. Yeah, it was. It was six months. So duty station, no deployment, yes. But it's such a gray area because there was a Dairy Queen in the pool. So does it count as either one? Probably not to a veteran. Well, not a real veteran. True. Man, um, he graduated from UMUC, University of Maryland, University Center, University Military Maryland, University Central, um, <laughs> while working full time. Um, he was what we call in the Air Force a fast burner. He got selected for promotion to E4 six months earlier than everyone else kind of in our cycle. Uh, they call it below the zone. And then he tested for staff sergeant and got that his first time. So uh, that's the kind of person Will is. Very successful, succeeds at everything he does. Um, I was thinking of what it reminded me of, and it reminds me of the Zohan. You let me do this. I'm the best. Like, man, what are you talking about? You've never done this before. I am the master. You let me do this. And uh, sure enough, um, he's a Hufflepuff, and that probably tells you more than you need to know about him, but... Uh, that's sort you're of gonna make me cry. What's that? I said you're gonna make me cry. I feel like shit now because I prepared like a thirty minute, you know, thirty second intro of the gist of your life, and you actually put some some thought into this. So uh, I owe oh, you dude. one for sure. You are hella interesting, and uh, people need to know this. Well, I appreciate that, dude. I would uh, I would have definitely gone into more detail if I was prepared to. But uh, everybody, me and Braxton were bunkmates. We've been best friends ever since, and we are really united in our theories of libertarianism and also our vision for what we want the future to look like and how we're going to work for it. We've been wanting to do a podcast together for a long time, and so this is a realized dream for both of us. And Braxton is a podcast fiend. He was listening to podcasts before I knew what a podcast was. He recommends them to me on a weekly basis. Um, So, yeah, this is long overdue. I'm glad to be here with you, bud. You're here. All right, guys. Let's get right into the weeds. We're here to talk about veteran issues and libertarian solutions. So 
something pretty interesting came out recently. I'm going to share my screen real quick if I can figure it out. Give me a second here. All right. So this is very recent. This might even be today. So the chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Jack Reed, is now proposing expanding the draft registry to include women. So let's talk about that, man. What do you think? Um, it's very obvious what I think, uh, that, I mean, that, that takes all of two seconds. Uh, but I wonder why. Makes me wonder too. What's, what's their motive here? I mean, is it just, uh, in a bid for equality? Um, are they planning on using it? Hmm. I, I really don't know, man. Um, I don't think our numbers are too low by anyone's projections. You know, I don't remember off the top of my head, but with the new administration, uh, the new SecDef, man, he did, you know, announce kind of his bullet points, what he was going to focus on. I don't remember if uh, increasing or shrinking the force was on the list at all. Uh, I really don't know on that. You know, it could just be a uh, bid for equality, but I'm not sure. Sure. Um, I think I never had thought about the perspective that they might actually be using it. I think the bid, because it came from a Democrat, I think the bid for equality is probably a really likely scenario. Um, but I've seen, I've heard a lot of good arguments. I think the problem with this show a lot of the time is that we're probably going to agree on most things pretty, pretty firmly on most things. Um, so I'm going to try to play devil's advocate a little bit here. So we, we toyed around, around with this on the Veteran Caucus today. And some arguments I heard were interesting. One of them was that um, women aren't going to understand the gravity of the draft unless they're included in it. So, so one veteran saw this as part of the pathway to getting the draft repealed. How does that resonate with you? Um, I, that does not resonate with me. Um, they're not going to get the gravity of it unless they're involved with it. I mean... That would be sort of the frivolous uh, undertaking that our Senate would take on, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, uh, in communist countries, is that why they have gulags, just so people understand gravity of it, or are they huh. actually, you know, in use uh, just for the gravity? I don't know, man. I don't, uh, I don't see that. Okay, so yeah, I really just wonder. What their motive Man, is. Let me say, uh, we do agree on a ton, but we also think so differently. Um, I don't think it's going to make anything stale. We're I think different. you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And we can always have guests on here to, to be statist and, uh, you know, offer some different perspectives. But yeah, I think I think the moral point is that we need to abolish the draft period. It's uh, conscription is slavery. It's not, we don't want it to apply to the other half of the country. We want it to stop applying to the first half of the country. That's what the argument should be. Um, I see how expanding it to women makes things more fair, but more fairly oppressed is not a win. That's a loss. We want every we want to end oppression. We want to end the conscription. So um, I don't I don't like any other arguments for it. That's that's definitely what I think the libertarian stance should be firmly. And uh, I was surprised by how many veterans, you know, which I'll be honest, the veteran caucus is pretty right leaning for a libertarian group. Right. Veterans tend to side with military issues pretty heavily when we talk about war and stuff. We kind of have a winning mindset. 
over a liberty mindset sometimes. And I think the the purest libertarians in the group can weed those other ones out and, you know, make the arguments. And those arguments typically win. Um, but there's definitely people in there who supported this move, whether they see it as a strategic way to promote abolishing it later or they just think that it should be fair, period. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. And uh, I don't you know, want to out anybody. There's some uh, true liberty lovers in there. And it's really weird because, you know, with the veteran issue, we, we set our principles aside a little bit, maybe more than we'd like to admit. And, you know, for me, I, I was not a libertarian whenever I signed up. So it's different for everybody. But, you know, the issues are right now. Um, you know, the reasons for me joining the military are a little bit romantic and silly, didn't end up playing out. But, you know, there are people just like us that are, you know, bleeding out, you know, and you have their best friends watching them. And I kind of wanted to be in there for that support, you know, support them. Um, you know, the politics kind of are aside at that point. Um, and that's, that has nothing to do with the draft, really. That just has to do with the caucus in general. Um, whenever we're talking about veteran issues right, right now, our principles do get moved a little bit towards the back burner. Um, but, hmm. of course, um, the draft is awful, and you really have to ask if uh, people aren't willing to fight for their country, is it worth fighting for? Exactly. There was an extremely good argument somebody made on that post today. And they said, if the moral, if the wars were moral and just, you wouldn't need a draft. And that's exactly right. Whenever there, when liberty is being threatened and freedom is being threatened, we will line up to fight. There will be no shortage of people willing to spill their blood for it. But whenever you're out there bombing Somalia, like we were this week, or fighting wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and all over the world for imperialism's sake, nobody wants to do that. And I mean, some people definitely want to do that. But the point is that you shouldn't need a draft if what you're doing is right. You would just need militias. And uh, if we were to that point, uh, um, of course, the women are welcome and they would be uh, joining, you know, and it's in droves. So. Hold on. I think bootlegs here, but oh, he cut out. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. So if you don't mind telling, because we're talking about the romanticism of joining the military, and it really goes into some deep principles, right? Because something about libertarians that we all share is we really want to fight for these things. We're passionate about that. And I think all libertarian veterans share that really deep urge to actually do something and fight. And I think that's probably a lot of the reason why we joined the military in the first place. So if you don't mind sharing, man, what, what were those romantic things that got you to sign up in the beginning? You know, I wanted to, you know, be in the military my whole life um, for a lot of reasons. You know, a lot of people in my family uh, did, and it wasn't anything that my family would even call a tradition uh, where I was ever pushed to or it was suggested to me. Um, Once I had made my mind up, I had a lot of family members telling me, like, hey, make sure you join the Air Force. All right, Roger that. But uh, just the decision to join wasn't put on me at all, but... You know, honestly, I wanted to fight, like you said. Um, a lot of stuff about the military sounded a lot of fun, um, kind of the fraternity. I, you know, I like uh, getting to know groups of people and, you know, just everything they say about the camaraderie you build in the military. I was looking for that. Um, honestly, the opportunities are really awesome, you know, the traveling. Um, 
man, you were with me. I, I got, well, I mean, not literally at that time, but I got to go to the, I got to go see where my family lived, you know, when they were in Kaiser Slaughter, you know, Hell yeah. uh, 40 years prior. That was awesome. But, you know, I remember when I was uh, really young, you know, maybe 12 years old. Um, it was probably sometime around Memorial Day or Fourth of July or um, some veteran holiday. But, you know, I was watching a thing on the news and they were just, you know, really just the real uh, heart wrenching stories. There are some guys, they're from the same town. And I think their uh, their mothers were the ones telling the stories. They're two best friends that grew up together. They joined the Marine Corps together. Uh, one of them died overseas. So uh, then afterwards, you know, the other one kind of fought for him. And I remember kind of right then thinking, and, you know, even afterwards, you just hear about all of the engagements on the news and everything. You know, what is the difference between me and them? And the difference hmm. is really small. I don't really know anybody that has been uh, killed in action. You know, thankfully, uh, even in my hometown, you know, if there are, if there's anyone, there's not a lot, which just speaks to how small my town is. But just the difference between, you know, me and someone who's on the front lines, that difference is razor thin. It's like an alternate universe. You know what I mean? It's exactly. not a parallel universe. It's an alternate that mm. differs this much from our own. You know, mm. the difference is 10 minutes in a recruiter's office. Exactly. So basically like, you know, my friends are, you know, bleeding out in the sand. I just don't know them yet. Uh, and, you know, that was the romantic and maybe even like immature naive notion uh not that it's immature naive you know simply to join the military but that's uh that's what i was talking about well and also you were security forces so you know to be real if anybody who's watching doesn't know what that is that's the air force's version of the mps that's our police which is for the air force definitely one of the more dangerous jobs as far as your likelihood to actually get killed in combat not as if it compares to Army infantry by any means, but for us, um, a lot more security forces, people die in combat from IEDs and things like that than pretty much every other job. Um, not including, you know, special operations, pararescue, CCT, Saudi and stuff like that. But, I mean, you did join a pretty forward job considering you were an airman. Um, for me, most people in my career field who die in the military pretty much commit suicide or die in another way. So, it's, it's different. But, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. One conversation could have been the difference. And um, you're, it's not that different from those people who joined the Marines or joined the Army. Um, that romanticism isn't all of us, to some extent at least. I feel like the reason that I joined was a lot more utilitarian. Say that again. I'm sorry. I missed you, man. Uh, no, just even our principles, as firmly as we believe in them, when, when you're thinking about that, when you think about your countrymen dying, they still kind of pale in comparison. At that point, it's just too late. You can still speak out against the unjust wars, but when you actually have, you know, hometown boys, you know, and ladies, you know, that it just pales in comparison a little bit. Yeah, that's very true. That's true. That's why we're here. It's serious. And that's what people really fail to pick up on is that these are people's sons, daughters, fathers, mothers you know, sisters, brothers who are dying. Um, you can't replace that life. That's a hole in a family that can never be filled again. And when people talk about the gravity of war and the effects, we, we speak about it usually in numbers, um, in dollars, but we rarely talk about the actual impact it has on people's lives. And it's kind of just a huge lack of empathy. 
but that's a really good point. Well, man, something really interesting. Um, Eric Prince, who's the founder of Blackwater, uh, he was on that podcast I sent you, and it was a pretty fascinating podcast. Uh, just talking about the civilian contracting, you know, slash mercenary work. But um, whoever he was, that that uh, general that was in command for all of Vietnam, when mm -hmm. he was questioned, he was being interviewed, and he was asked about ending the draft. And he said that that was a terrible idea. If you end the draft, then you'll be fighting wars with nothing but mercenaries. And that sounds really crazy. Like, what? You know, me and you considered mercenaries. But he's saying if they're not for to it, they, you know, they enter into it willing to mercenaries. Their paycheck, they're mercenaries. And I thought that was really interesting. True, but there's, there is something, an argument to be had there, just to play devil's advocate here, not from a moral standpoint, but somebody who does love a country and fight on its behalf out of that love and romance and passion is probably going to go a little bit further than somebody who is getting paid to do it. Um, but somebody who's drafted is not, you know, that, that kills the argument. There's, there's that love and passion and romance is gone whenever they're, doing it at gunpoint or at the threat of a, a cage. So I would definitely prefer mercenaries you know, to slaves. Oh yeah. No, unequivocally. And you know, but nowadays uh, war is not just throwing bodies at each other. Like it was in Vietnam. It is way less. So, you know, way less. So um, even infantry plays a much smaller role, uh, you know, in the fighting. You know, a lot of it's, you know, technological. Um, obviously, the war machine gets bigger and bigger. Uh, even more logistics are necessary. So uh, it's very different now than it was then for many reasons. But, yeah, we're not just throwing bodies at each other. It, you know, if that's the case, then the slaves work all right. But it's not the case anymore. That's very true. And that honestly brings up another good point as to why the – Empathy is so easy to avoid and ignore um, because it's done by drones that are flown out of what, Arizona, Nevada. Um, they don't even have to look at the bodies. You know, they just have to see them on a camera. Right. And, and bombing in general, really, which I mean, you know, we're in, we're airmen, so we definitely see the strategic value in that. But from a personal standpoint, from a humanitarian standpoint, it's it's so evil to be able to murder 30 people and never look any of them in the eye, never know who they were, never know who their families were, what they did for a living, anything about them, really. Yeah, and uh, talk about how much more expensive, also thousands of times more expensive. So, Do you think so? But that's a debate to have versus versus caring for veterans healthcare for 50 years, that kind of thing. Do you think that dropping bombs is more expensive? Um, well, I guess the whole package, maybe not. Uh, the whole package, maybe not. I, I just meant the actual engagements, you know, what's cheaper, a bullet, body armor, or a smart bomb. True. True. It's definitely more effective. You know, package, that, that is a Yeah. Okay. Sorry. You're breaking out for a second there, man. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. That's good debate. Um, so 
I'm trying to read some of the comments here, but I don't think anybody who's a firm libertarian wants women to be included in the draft. I don't see any points to it. Um, I get the equality, but again, that's just expanding slavery. So what ways do you think we as the caucus can, can kind of oppose this and fight this? Uh, dank memes. Easy. <laughs> I got you there. Yeah. I'll be brainstorming that. No better weapon. Honestly. Something's got to be done because I really, I really would hate to see that. I don't want to ever see the draft used again. Honestly, that would probably be a straw that broke my back and, and a lot of libertarians back if they ever started conscription again. That would probably put us into some serious chaos. Um, but... I, we need to get out in front of this and be extremely vocal and loud and make sure that any any politicians who think they can dabble at that idea understand that that is seriously opposed. Sure. Um, we could start like a Joe Biden initiative or a Donald Trump initiative, Bill Clinton initiative, any number of politicians, really, we can name it after, and uh, we can just post useful links, resources on, you know, what injuries to say to get out of it. Um, <laughs> we can make like an underground railroad for draft off. Um, Dude, that's freaking brilliant. I wonder if we could get charged with some kind of federal conspiracy if we did that. Not that I'm, I'm willing to risk it, but that's fucking brilliant. Sorry, pardon my French. But seriously, that's a great idea. Teaching people how to strategically avoid it. I mean, hey, flat feet, you know, you got asthma. Cool. You do now. If you're a libertarian, you got asthma officially. So since we were talking about it, I'll go back. I'll touch a little bit on the differences between you and I as far as joining. Because, and you know this about me, but nobody else does. But I was I was a much more utilitarian recruit in the Air Force. Um, I wanted the benefits. I didn't have near as much as the romance to serve my country and, and the things like that. I really wanted to get something out of it because I was already a libertarian at that time. So I kind of um, mostly saw the reality of what the military industrial complex and stuff like that was. Um, but I still was willing to stick my toe in and, and get in it to get something out of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But at the same time, I think during service, you know, especially basic training, which is essentially an eight week indoctrination course. Um, I feel like I was able to romanticize the things about the country that I love and still love and not internalize the things about our country that I hate and still hate. So that's how, as a libertarian, I was able to join and, and serve for four years and enjoy myself and, and be promoted and be successful. But um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of where you and I were different, but you did kind of pick up more on those ideas and we started talking in basic training about it. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Braxton's journey from romantic soldier as a young man to the articulate libertarian that you are now. Very nice. Uh, I've been waiting to tell this story, but you know, first, man, I just want to point out something that we probably haven't. All of my favorite movies and books are all war stories. All hmm. of them. And I don't just mean Jacket saving Private Ryan. I mean, what isn't a war movie? You know, I mean, Lord of the Rings, you know, Harry Potter, you know, I mean, the Bible, 
like what is not a war story in our culture you know what i mean like really it's sure. not, you know not like i said not just metal jacket uh saving private ryan like it's kind of everything it's in our culture so i mean uh you know that's something we have in common and i think a lot of people do but i remember in basic training it was early on uh you got something in the mail and i don't know it might be just like a picture of you and some family with that uh ron paul behind you or maybe you had some sort of libertarian uh memorabilia whether it was a porcupine or a torch something and i just asked what that was and you're like oh i'm a libertarian well, what's a libertarian? And you're like, have you ever heard of Ron Paul? Um, yeah, you know, I'm sure I've heard of him, but I don't really know what he's about. And you're like, oh, well, basically libertarians, they want all drugs to be legal, prostitution to be legal, open borders, uh, you know, that sort of thing. You didn't try to sell it at all. You just kind of pulled the plug. And I was like, <laughs> all right, you know, this guy, obviously crazy, but, you know, he's. <laughs> I still think, you know, I still think we have a future, just, you know, he's just crazy and his uh, politics are hopeless. Um, I mean, I was an absolute statist. Uh, I didn't care enough about politics to say I was a Republican, but that's definitely what I'd fall under. Um, whenever I got out of tech school, or no, I'm sorry, out of basic training into tech school, slash A school, slash AIT, slash MOS school, uh, every branch has a different word. Uh, I bought my first smartphone. So this is 2013. I was a late adopter. Um, on Facebook, you know, since you were my best friend and I missed you, I did follow a libertarian page on Facebook and it was probably the main one. All right. And, you know, then um, as the weeks went on, I had I was following a total of three, probably the main party page, um, just a being libertarian, libertarian page. Maybe so. And then one of them, you know, had liberty in the title, but it was one of those alt right, you know, absolutely not a libertarian one. But, you know, I look at the memes and I look at the posts. Some of them I would agree with. Some of them I'd halfway agree with. And some of them I was like, yep, these guys are crazy. And, you know, over the months, I would ask you about it. You know what I mean? And that's what I followed them for in the first place was for conversations between you and me. And, you know, we would talk about it. And like I said, every once in a while, they would, you know, halfway get me. But, man, these guys are crazy. Uh, you know, the statism is real, unfortunately. But the one that did it for me, and I actually have I have it saved on my phone. It's a picture of a car that had been uh, wrecked pretty bad. It looked like it uh, hit a light pole or a tree or something. And, I mean, it was all jacked up. And it said, this is what happens the day your driver's license expires. And, uh, you know, something I should have mentioned is that when I was a kid, uh, I was not a rebellious kid, but I did question authority. And I'm not saying that to, like, save face. Uh, I'm not really worthy of the title rebellious kid, but I did question authority and that was kind of a problem I had growing up, made my life difficult. And I'd kind of gotten past that drank later, taking the red pill, however you want to put it. But then I saw that meme and, you know, I laughed out loud and then it was kind of like, Oh damn moment because I knew the flip, the switch had been flipped, you know, basically that the government really does just exist to tell us what to do and take our money and everything else is secondary and tertiary. Uh, so I was I was down the rabbit hole like that. And then from that point on, uh, you know, uh, I started looking at it in a different light. And then, like we've talked about, it's sort of like a funnel. You know, I might agree with, like, you know, well, freedom's important. But, you know, I didn't agree on, you know, maybe the immigration or this, that, or the other. But, you know, the I would say I'm absolutely a full-fledged libertarian now. Um 
everybody else kind of pales in comparison, honestly. But uh, the journey was real. I mean, it, uh, it, you know, it was kind of my default, but it didn't feel like it. But, it's, you know, it is truth. And I think we can get everybody there, but it's just not easy. Hell yeah, it's an uphill battle. But for Dalton, for Nick O'Day, for Bootleg, for anybody, for Eskimo, anybody watching, this guy was literally brought to libertarianism through dank memes. So when you're making dank memes, it is not a joke. That is evangelism, and you're doing it right. So don't stop doing it. You never know who you're going to reach with that strategy. So keep it up. That's it. Seriously. I mean, it's a good medium for communication. And, uh, you know, other things, too, like once you – once you kind of see the light, you start seeing it more broadly. Like hmm. some stuff is not a secret. Like, you know, um, just thinking about the American history that I learned in school, you know, our founding fathers were very rebellious. They did just want to be left alone. They did value freedom over everything. And they hmm. uh, spoke to that very, of course, like, you know, and I told you seriously, the parks and recreation, Ron Swanson, um, even though he's a caricature of what a libertarian is, um, it really helps um, initially just learning about the what libertarian values are. It helps with that. But now as a seasoned veteran libertarian, looking back on it, it really helps me to kind of find my peace because really all it requires to be a good libertarian is just minding your business. And he does that better than anybody. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to wave a rainbow flag. You don't have to wave a white flag. Um, it doesn't. Your views don't have to be that extreme. And you don't even have to. I mean, of course, it's better if you're a compassionate and caring human being and you care about your neighbors. Uh, that's amazing. But all it actually requires is that you mind your own business. That's the minimum. And uh, we can get people that far. That's a freaking great point, man. Um, you know, I feel like the right that appeals to they can understand that but because the american left their moral compass is more aligned with care and harm that almost sounds i think more evil to them so you're absolutely right that strategy will reach a lot of people just say hey just learn to mind your own business and that's pretty much what libertarianism is um but i do think we have to have a conversation about the compassion and the care um as a personal level not a political one that absolutely doesn't belong in the political conversation. You know, leave everybody alone. But on a personal level, I think we kind of have to embody that as humans, as libertarians, so that we can sell the minding your own business on a political level in a way that makes sense. Um, but I really want to describe what you said about libertarianism. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying that conversation does need to be had uh, for sure. That That's when you're a full-fledged libertarian. That's the goal. That's what we want out of a country anyways. But Absolutely. Um, no, I want to hit on the funnel because that's something. So Braxton and I were having a conversation one time about how he became a libertarian, and he described it in the most uh, vivid illustration. And I love sharing this with people. He said that becoming a libertarian is like the funnel at the mall that you drop the pennies in, you know, to donate to like children's hospitals and things like that. And the penny goes round and round. And so he said, you know, at first he was interested in these ideas. And so he would kind of orbit and then he would get a little further off and things seemed a little odd. And then he would kind of get a little closer on certain issues, a little further off. But eventually you start to orbit closer and closer and closer until you finally fall in that hole. And that's what happens. And so 
I think why that's so important for us as libertarians, especially evangelists who are sitting here trying to spread this message and make more libertarians, don't discourage people who are still in the beginning of that journey. If somebody doesn't understand this to its core fully, they're not real libertarians. Like we love to say on this podcast, on this network, don't discourage them. Don't exclude them. Put them under your arm and teach them what it means. Exemplify it. And they'll figure it out eventually. If you believe that this is truth, then you need to believe that they're going to get there eventually. They are on a journey, and it's a difficult one, and they have to unlearn a lot of statism, a lot of indoctrination, a lot of bullshit that the system's been teaching them for a very long time. So please, I just implore you, if you know somebody who's half in, half out, put your arm around them, treat them with respect, encourage them, share your ideas with them but do not ever exclude them or discourage them because they will get there inevitably. But I just absolutely love that illustration, man. That's, that was brilliant. So Brax, we talked about the draft. That's absolutely true. And I would just add, don't get discouraged. Say that again, man. We, you broke out just a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, man. We're having a little bit of some comms issues. Yeah. Intermittent comms. Um, I love that point that you made, and I would just add, don't get discouraged yourself. Um, you know, be optimistic, and they will come around. Um, you will. You have libertarian grandchildren. You're going to have libertarian great-grandchildren before long. Um, you know, and you never got discouraged, and you trusted me. Like I said, you didn't try to sell libertarianism to me. Uh, you know, cocaine should be legal. Prostitution should be legal. <laughs> and I, uh, which is. You know, that was terrible for me, but I, I still made it here. So uh, I think that is very important. Damn right. And I think, you know, there are there are people who you can look at, and I think there might be some legitimate lost causes. Um, I don't think that you should choose every fight or fight every fight. There are some people who are pretty sold into statism. But if somebody can entertain one libertarian issue – if they can open their mind on one thing, then they're in. They can open their mind on the rest of them. It's a matter of time. I really believe that because if their mind can comprehend that the world doesn't need government in one issue, then they can absolutely apply that principle to every single other. It's just a matter of expanding on it and thinking deeper about it and getting there. Man, yeah, great conversations. Our government. Yeah, always. Go ahead. But, you know, I was just going to say the government's actually helping us out. Um, they're running the country into the ground as quickly as they can. I mean, look at the national debt clock. Look at, you know, all the things. People are getting upset. You know, the police issue is very hot right now. Criminal justice reform is kind of hot across the board. Um, the drugs. And, I mean, obviously, as libertarians, we can claim those issues all day long. We've been championing those for decades. But, um even though the world isn't necessarily shifting towards libertarianism, um, there is a hunger for liberty. There's a disconnect because the right wants their liberties and the left wants their liberties. They don't come together on the issue of liberty. But, uh, you know, it almost feels like a win that people are asking for liberty. I think you're absolutely right. I see it every day all over the place. I think we're making huge strides. I think the average individual is absolutely hungering for it and getting more and more close to it. But how do we get statists 
to stop seeing government as a solution to the problems that government created. Because that's that's a huge frustration in a huge area right now is that government will do something. They'll screw something up. And the only thing they can possibly comprehend is another law, another government solution. So what ideas do you have to market this in a way that we can prove to them that that's not working and we shouldn't try it again? Well, I mean, a very easy one is kind of just pointing to the national debt and being like, look, do you really trust people who are $29 trillion in debt to do anything? And then, you know, explaining the simple truth. And, you know, like, obviously, as libertarians, everybody has their favorite libertarian. Um, John Stossel, uh, Larry Sharp, Ron Paul. Um, you know, there's tons of great ones. But, you know, a lot of them have already done some of that work for us. For me or you, <laughs> it could be as easy as sharing a link. You know what I mean? Just have some links bookmarked for different issues. But, you know, the pointing out the failures of government is not that hard. You know, like I said, $29 trillion in debt, and you trust them to do what exactly? And then, you know, the simple truth that the government doesn't have any incentive to do anything well. Uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo is still the governor of New York after that whole scandal. Uh, Gavin yeah. Newsom is still the governor of California after that scandal. Um, For now. Go down any list you want. It's easy to demonstrate that, you know, they don't play by the same rules as us, and they just have zero incentive to do anything correctly at all whatsoever. I mean, and that, I mean, that's a very important, that's a tenet of libertarianism, but it's very easily demonstrated. They have zero incentive to do anything well. Absolutely. I think... Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. We need to hit on that more and more. That's a very basic tenet of libertarianism. But that goes into economics. And a lot of people don't want to have those conversations because they're they're a little thoughtful for a lot of people. But you're absolutely right. People need incentive. We need competition. But the fact that you know Joe Biden could write the 1994 crime bill, then, however many years later, get elected president... In the most criminal justice focused time period in our history since the civil rights movement and get elected is mind boggling. It shows me a a huge cognitive dissonance in the fact that the voters seem to not care that they don't play by the same rules, though. They don't care that they don't have incentive to do good. Um, But that's on us to wake them up. But any other issues you want to touch on, man? We're almost to 40 minutes. We'll probably wrap up pretty soon. Any other major veteran issues that you want to hit on tonight? Dude, let me see. Um, man, I'm, I'm still on the government failures, to be honest, and it can be very quick. Um, uh, schools, uh, the quality of education down, Department of Education. I think that's an easy sell for people. You really need the government to be educating your kids, or should that be teachers? Because everybody supports teachers the same way everybody supports veterans. But, you know, that, so that's kind of an easy bridge to walk someone across. Like, do you not trust your teachers? You really need uh, 17 bureaucrats between, you know, your teachers and their lesson plans. Um, marriage equality, if, you know, your marriage it can be blessed by your church or even just by your family and your friends. You really need your government involved in that. 
Um, because I think the statism is the biggest threat to liberty. I mean, it truly is. The uh, people want the government's endorsement on anything. Uh, obviously, the roads. Uh, there's some really nice toll roads around where we live. That's pretty rad. Um, what else along those lines, man? I, I think the statism issue is really important, one of the most important ones, and uh, that's something we need to be focused on, and uh, it's not too hard. Uh, veterans issues, man, the draft is the newest thing. Uh, what is on your radar? I think the UCMJ is something that I'm extremely passionate about, for sure. But I think we should save that for another episode because we're at 41 minutes and let's uh, let's save that because I think that's an entire episode on itself for sure. So, hey, guys, catch us next week, Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, and we will be talking about the UCMJ and the reform that it needs in criminal justice in the military. Um, any last plugs or anything else you want to say, brother? Negative. All right, man. Thank you for being here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Please go follow Not A Real Libertarian if you're not already. Follow the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. And as always, there's no such thing as a real libertarian.